0: Today, Pastor Javen concludes the series "In It, Not Of It." As we wrap up the book of Daniel, we will see God's plan will ultimately come together. So, take a moment now and prepare your heart for today's service. I don't know if any, if any of you remember the Eighteen. Anybody remember the Eighteen? I'm not talking about the movie that that came out in recent years. I'm talking about the the actual Eighteen. Yeah, you know, I mean this. The, uh, I, I loved the A-Team when I was growing up, when I was a kid, watching watching the A-Team. Hannibal, Face, Murdoch, B.A., and the stories were all the same. They were always the same, right? I mean, there would be a problem in someone's, uh, someone's going on in someone's life, and if they could find them, right, that's what the song told us, or if uh, the A-Team found them, they, they were there. Face would use his good looks to try to help out in some way. Murdoch would do something stupid, uh, uh, B.A. had to get sedated so he could get put on a plane, co- plane to fly because he was afraid to fly. And, but then all of a sudden, music would start playing. They'd start building something amazing and they would fix something. Then they'd go out and they'd take up the fight to protect the, the one who needed protecting. B.A. would beat people up and it would always end with Hannibal making that statement at the very end. Do you remember it? I love it when a plan comes together. Bum, ba, bum, bum, bum. You, know, you remember that? And, and that would just happen. You'd just get all excited. Yeah! Me too, Hannibal, right? I love it when a plan comes together. Well, believe it or not, we are wrapping up the book of Daniel today. We are coming to a conclusion. And yes, we are going to look at the last three chapters of Daniel today. Don't freak out. We're not gonna be here three hours. It'll be the same as usual, I promise. But I want us to to, to jump in and see where where Daniel takes us to end his book. If, if you, you, as we've looked through... This whole book of Daniel, we have seen that a lot of this, a lot of what's been happening, it's been a very dark and heavy setting. Right? You've got the nation of Israel, Ju- Judah, being taken captive. They're exiles. They're in the the land of Babylon, originally by King Nebuchadnezzar. You see them face death. You see them. Uh, you see them face uh, the fiery furnace. Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. You see Daniel face the lion's den. You see Daniel minister to pagan kings who were far from a relationship with God. All of that in the first half of the book of Daniel. Then you see the second half of the book of Daniel, and and, and we've been seeing this these very heavy visions and dreams that Daniel has been receiving. Where in the first half of the book, Daniel was the one interpreting, or interpreting the, the I don't know what that word is, but interpreting the uh, the the dreams and the visions of the pagan kings. But now. He's the one receiving the dreams and the visions. And, and it's very heavy and so heavy that Daniel is overwhelmed by them. It's all been a picture of a future that was to come for them and a future still to come for us. Daniel was very specific in what he talked about and what he described of what was going to take place in the visions that he had and the other Kings had leading up to the time of Christ. And when we look at the words from Jesus and the words of the vision of the apostle John in revelation, we see that what we saw in Daniel is a pattern leading up to the Jesus's second coming. And we've said several times in these last several weeks that in the world, there's a pattern, but in God there's a what there's a promise. And here's what we need to know. Even though everything around us might be dark and it might be hard and it might be difficult, God's plan will always come together. The enemy is hard as he wants to try. He cannot stop it. He cannot redirect it. He can't change it in the least. God's plan will come together. So I want, us to, I want to show you a quote from Martin Luther, who's the great reformer. He's talking about the end of the book of Daniel and, what, and, and, and how we approach this book. Uh, Martin Luther said these words. He said, Daniel concludes the record of his terrifying visions and dreams on a note of joy, pointing to the coming of Christ's eternal reign of glory. And he goes on, he says this. He says, whoever wants to study them profitably, dare not focus his attention on the details of the visions and the dreams. Because what Martin Luther is pointing out, what he knows, if we get so focused on the details of these things that we can get lost in that and miss the promise. He says, but seek the comfort in the savior, Jesus Christ, whom they portray and in the deliverance he brings from sin and its misery. So this is what I've been trying to convey to us needs to be our focus. Now, When we go into the book of Daniel chapter 10, we see that Daniel is in the reign of, of, of King Cyrus. This is the Persian leader. Remember I told you, Persian would eventually overtake the Medes, even though they came in together. And so now he's, he's not just been under the leadership of Babylon. He's not just been under the leadership of the Medes. Now he's under the leadership of the Persians. And we see in scripture, in the book of Ezra specifically, we see that Cyrus, he allowed... Uh, the Judeans, the Israelites to go back to their homeland and many of them left and they returned home. Daniel did not go back. We don't know exactly why Daniel didn't go back. It's likely because he's somewhere in his eighties and this travel that it would have taken for him to go back to his home. it, It would have been too much for him at his age. Maybe he stayed because he believed he could do more good, still ministering in his roles in this nation than he could by going back to Judah. Maybe he wanted to stay to help those who were a part of God's family and who came from Judah as exiles, but now had become acclimated to Babylon and to their ways. And so he wanted to continue to reach them. Regardless of why Daniel didn't go home, I want us to see the state of mind that Daniel was in when he goes into his last and final vision that he's going to have in these three chapters. Daniel chapter 10 is where we'll start. We'll look at verse two and three real quick. Look at what he says here. Daniel says, when the vision came to me, I, Daniel had been in mourning for three whole weeks. All that time I had eaten no rich food, no meat or wine crossed my lips. And I knew I used no fragrant lotions or oils until those three weeks had passed. And see all all the essential oil people, you just got really really tight right there because you know it's bad when you can't even use your oils anymore, right? I mean, it's just... Daniel has been mourning. He's been in a place of lament for 21 days. If you've ever heard of the 21-day fast, of Daniel's 21-day fast, this is where it comes from. But Daniel's been in this deep place of mourning because what Daniel realizes is he's carrying the weight of something that is so heavy He realizes the weight of this is going to crush him without turning to God. That's why he's turning to God and he's crying out to him for him to help him carry this burden and this weight that he's carrying from the visions that he has seen. And he is in this great place of lament. When was the last time you lamented over something? that you carried such a deep pain and anguish over what you were seeing happen and the spiritual attack that you were seeing take place on the people that you loved, people that you knew, the things in this world around you. The book of Psalms, there's over 65 Psalms that are considered Psalms of lament. This is where we see the, the Psalmist in humility laying out the things that they are dealing with before God being open and honest with him and crying out to him and, and and expressing the pain that they are facing the suffering that they are dealing with but the whole time they're doing it they are trusting in the sovereignty of God in his grace and his goodness in his ability to restore and to rescue no matter what that may look like they trust in God to restore because of his goodness because of who he is. There's a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations. It is a book of the prophet Jeremiah, who's called the weeping prophet. And he's lamenting in this book over the nation of Judah, who had been taken into exile into Babylon. And see, Daniel is seeing what Daniel is seeing in these, in this last vision. And what he's been seeing in these visions before is a future that he cannot control a future that looks very dark, a future that he cannot control. But what Daniel does know is that he can invest in the relationship that he has with the God who does control it all. So skip down with me to verse 16 in Daniel chapter 10. Verse 16, he he writes these words. He says, "'Then the one who looked like a man touched my lips, "'and he opened my mouth and began to speak.' And I said to the one standing in front of me I am filled with anguish because of the vision I've seen my lord and I'm very weak how can someone like me your servant how can someone like me talk to you my lord my strength is gone and I can hardly breathe Maybe you've been in a place like that in, in prayer where you feel like you can't it's hard for you to even approach God. You don't have the words to pray. This is where Daniel is. He's overwhelmed, he is exhausted, and he's, he's falling right on his face and he's praying and he's weeping, asking for the sovereign God to give him an understanding of everything that he is seeing. And then we see the response. Come from this man and jump down to verse 19 and look at his words to him. He says, Don't be afraid, he said. And this may remind you if you were here last week or you watched or listen, this may remind you of what Gabriel told Daniel. You are very precious to God, you are loved by God. He said, Be encouraged, and be strong. See this. Being this man reminds Daniel of what Gabriel had told him. You're loved by God. You're precious to God. God hasn't turned his back on you, God hasn't forgotten you, God hasn't walked away, He hasn't abandoned you. Remember, I told you last week that the cross of Jesus Christ, the empty tomb, those are greater revealers for us today of God's love than the circumstances in this life we face. God has not abandoned you. So he speaks to him and he gives him courage. And look, what you're seeing around you, Daniel, is just the picture showing you, you live in an evil world. A world that has been taken captive by an evil presence. But you can be strengthened by a loving God. And he gives him courage. Strength And he gives him courage. And we see as we continue to read on Daniel being strengthened just through the presence of this being, being with him. Listen, this is why we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is there to give us the same peace, to give us the same, same encouragement in our bodies and in our lives. When we face everything that we face in this life. Now, just before this conversation that Daniel has with this being, this This person tells Daniel in verses 12 to 14, he says, look, as soon as you started praying 21 days ago, I was on my way to you to give you the answer and reveal to you everything and and what you're seeing and what you're facing. But he said, I got caught up in a battle. And he said, for 21 days, he fighted. This was a spiritual warfare that was taking place in the heavenlies that Daniel and no man could see. And he tells him that the archangel Michael came to help me fight this fight. In fact, he's still fighting right now. It gave me a release to finally be able to come to you and answer your prayer. So see, the, the, when you think about the 21-day fast, it wasn't a 21-day fast because Daniel said, oh, 21 days, that's the magic number. We're going to fast. At the end of 21 days, I'll get my... No, that's just when the answer came. So the fast ended after 21 days. But he comes to him and he tells Daniel these things. I want you to look with me at Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, start of verse 7. John sees this vision. He says this. He says, Then there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels, the dragon being Satan. Revelation tells us that. And the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. And look where they... Okay, and this great dragon, this ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one who's what is he doing? He's deceiving the whole world. Was thrown down to earth with with all his angels. Man, couldn't he have been thrown somewhere else? I mean, that's one of those questions, right? Like why? Well, thanks, thanks for that. But he's here, and so every war that we deal with it relates to this war there's a war that our spiritual enemy is waging since the beginning fighting and battling so every every prayer we pray is a part of that spiritual war that's why paul told us in his letter to to the church of ephesus and we still have the opportunity to read it today he says your battle your battle is not against flesh and blood it looks like that because that's what the enemy wants to make it look like. The enemy wants to make it look like you need to fight that person. That's not your battle. Your battle is a spiritual battle. It is it is against principalities and powers of the air. So every prayer you release is releasing spiritual warfare. And God is working behind the scenes behind the scenes of your prayers in ways that you can't even fathom and imagine, the ways that I can't begin to understand. But the promise is that he's working and he's moving. And that's why as a child of God, we need to have a perspective of God and not get caught up in the perspective that we have in our fleshly eyes and our man. We need to remember God is sovereign. God is in control. His plan will come together. So we go into these visions that Daniel has at the end of chapter 10, going into chapter 11. And we see this angel, this being, talking to, to Daniel and talking to him about he's battling these, these princes of Persia. And, it's, and there's going to be another one, a prince of Greece come. Remember, if you've been a part of this series, it, it lines up to everything that we've been seeing. And he goes in and he talks about these visions and, and there's a lot of elements that overlap in things that we've already seen. From Daniel chapter 7, from Daniel chapter 8, from the vision that Nebuchadnezzar had in Daniel chapter 2. There's a series of kingdoms that are coming, one right after the other, one to overtake from the other. None of them representing the kingdom of God. But eventually all being brought down by the hand of God. And there is a spirit in this world. There is a spirit in this world that's going to rise up called the spirit of Antichrist. That's influenced by the spirit of Babylon. Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 8, we talked about that. If you remember, Daniel chapter 7 has it coming from one place. Daniel chapter 8 has it coming from another. Chapter 8 has it coming from the nation of Greece. And we talked about how this played out through a man named Antiochus IV, Antiochus Epiphanes. But it all played out. When you look through Daniel chapter 11, it talks about these kingdoms of the north and kingdoms of the south and kingdoms of the east. Remember, uh, Alexander the Great's kingdom was divided up into four kingdoms. And you had all these different places and you had Ptolemy and you had Seleucids, however he said his name. And you had then all these other Antiochus rise up. We see through history, the, the playing out of them trying to trade daughters to bring peace in the nations. None of that playing out. And Daniel is describing that in Daniel chapter 11. But he also describes this antichrist spirit. And we talked about how Antichus Epiphanes played that out through one of his journeys to the South to overtake. He had to retreat and he went back to the East. And in his frustration, he traveled through the Holy land. And that is when he took upon himself to, des- to destroy the lives of so many Jewish believers. And he put up the, the desecration of abomination and through the sacrifice of pig flesh and of swine on the altar in the Holy of Holies and set up a false God in the temple of God. All of this was before Jesus Christ's first coming But Daniel saw it with such specificity and such detail describing it. But we also saw in Daniel chapter 7 that there's a different kingdom that this comes from. It's this beast, this undescribable beast where, yes, it described Rome and it described what they did. But it was also a prototype of the beast that would come, a beast that we see talked about in Revelation chapter 17 of the ultimate end of time and from that there would be one antichrist but we saw through the apostle John in his letter that he wrote not the gospel of John but one of his letters we saw from the apostle Paul in his letter that he wrote to the church of Thessalonica in Thessalonians he told uh, John said there's a spirit of antichrist that is still awry, uh, that, that is already present in our world today Paul said that there is he calls it the man of lawlessness it is present in our world even today. And we've said this several times in the last few weeks that, that, that what this spirit desires to do is it desires to devour flesh. And all of this has been going on ever since the very beginning. When this ancient serpent, this dragon, this devil, when he first approached Eve in the garden and caused the whole fall of man, it's been present ever since then. The whole reason his whole purpose was to approach Eve and get her and Adam to fall into temptation was so that he could devour mankind. That was his purpose, that was his goal. And that's what the spirit of Christ influenced by the spirit of Babylon. That's what it does. It seeks to devour flesh. We see it all throughout our world today. In hatred, in racism, and prejudice, and slavery, and uh, selfish acts of abortion—we see it all. Over seeking to devour—it's the whole purpose, the whole goal. The other thing is, it wants to deceive. It wants to deceive us. This is what the, the, this was his tactic to Eve. Did God really say that? Since the very beginning, that's been his goal. To cause you to question God's word. The enemy has no shame. He even used this tactic on Jesus. He tried to misquote the word of God to Jesus. The very word himself. Do you not think if he's going to try to play Jesus, that he ain't going to play you? This is his goal. This is what he's trying to do. He's trying to deceive mankind. He's trying to twist the word of God and cause us to think, did God really say that? And we see it all throughout our world today, specifically in regards to salvation. Is Jesus really the only way to salvation? Surely a loving God isn't going to send people to hell. Is Jesus truly the only way? We see it all throughout our world in regards to sexuality. He's, he's twisting the words of God. in how God created us and the purposes of what he created us for in our bodies. It's his goal to deceive. He wants to devour flesh. He wants to deceive us and he wants to get man to exalt themselves. What what did he tell Eve? Again, it goes all the way back to the beginning. You'll be like God. He doesn't change his... His ways. And we see pride and selfishness all around us in our world. And we have to be careful not to pray, fall prey to these things. It's so easy for us to fall prey to these things. To allow ourselves to be deceived. To question God's word. To allow ourselves to exalt our own flesh and look at ourselves as better than others. And all while allowing this to happen, the enemy is just slowly destroying our life. And that's why Jesus said, look, the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy. But he's told him, he said, I've come to give you life and to give you life more abundantly. So we have to trust in him. So I think it's important that we see the words of this person, this being, to Daniel. Because it's so easy for us to fall. Pray to this. Look at what this being tells Daniel. In Daniel chapter 11, verse 31. He's talking about this person influenced by the spirit of Antichrist. He says, his army will overtake the temple fortress pollute the sanctuary, put a stop to the daily sacrifices, set up the sacrilegious object that causes de- desecration. Again, this is leading up. This is talking about the first coming. We see it happen in Antiochus, but remember the words of Jesus that I showed you last week, Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. Jesus quoted Daniel chapter nine. It's a reference to this as well. And he told them when he was talking about the end of times, which Jesus would have been after Antiochus epiphanies. he told him when the desecration of abomination comes into the temple, flee Judea. So it's a pattern in the world. There's a pattern, but in God, there's a promise. Go to verse 32. Look at what he says. Some of the wise will fall victim to persecution in this way. They will be refined. Wait, I jumped up. I'm sorry. My, okay. Okay. He will flatter this. Yeah, this is it. He will flatter and win over those who have violated the covenant. Deceive, deception, and he's good. He's manipulative. But watch this. But the people who know their God will be strong and will resist him. Again, this being is showing us how important it is to us to know God, to know the word of God, to be in relationship with God. What did we talk about last week? What, what allowed Daniel to stay strong in his faith the whole time he was exiled in Jude, in, Jude, in in Babylon, what allowed him to stay strong? It was his knowledge of the word of God that he had up until that point, And it was his life of prayer. This is why we have to know God because it allows us to stay strong in him. And we read this and we say, well, how is the enemy going to stop the daily sacrifices if there's a pattern? Remember, in, in this time, today, we don't do animal sacrifices like they did in Daniel's time to cover the sin of others. But Paul, in his letter to the church of Rome, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he told them, he says, You are to be living sacrifices to set yourself up as holy and pleasing to God. This is the true act of worship, Paul says. So see what well, we don't do every day sacrifices or every year sacrifices like they did in the old covenant and under the old Testament. We, we are living sacrifices and the sacrifices we make every day reflect the sacrifices that they made. We make sacrifices every. Day to try to live in peace and harmony with those in our community that lines up with sacrifices that, that they did in the Old Testament, we live to we, we try to bring praise and worship to God in order to keep ourselves from wanting to receive praise that comes to ourselves that lines up with uh, sacrifices of thanksgiving that they did in the Old Testament. We sacrifice daily our will and our desires to give our life to God in the same way that Jesus gave. His life for us. And in the same way that those sacrifices of atonement for our sins were to reflect the forgiveness of sin in our life, we sacrifice and receive God's love and God's grace every day of our life to live in Him. So where, where we may not be stopped from sacrifices inside a temple, the enemy changes his tactics and he gets us to try to stop living sacrificially. Don't Let yourself be deceived by the enemy. So Daniel, he's seeing this and this person describing everything. He goes into chapter 12 and he begins to describe how what they see take place up to the first coming of Jesus is a pattern of what's going to come to the second coming of Jesus. And he tells him these words, he says, it's going to be a time of distress that has never happened since the beginning of creation. That's awesome, right? We live in a world where Christian persecution is on the rise yearly. There's a ministry called Open Doors Ministry. You can see, you, you can, they have an app. You can follow things from them. They have a website. You can follow things from them. They have this thing called the World Watch List where it, well, for them, they put the top 50 most persecuted nations on this list. And no, America is not in that list. But they talk about the persecution. Just over the last year, these are the numbers that they show us of what has taken place in persecution in these nations. Over 360 million Christians are living in these places where they experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. It tells us that 5,898 Christians were killed for their faith just in these 50 nations in the last year. 5,110 churches and other Christian buildings were attacked. 4,765 believers have been detained without trial, arrested, imprisoned, sentenced, all for their faith. There's persecution taking place all over this world and it is all on the rise. Now, just because America is not in that top 50 list, it doesn't mean that we as America doesn't, don't face persecution for our faith. There's a professor by the name of George Yancey at Baylor who studies and researches how believers are affected in our world. And through studies and research that he's done, he determined that 32% of America dislikes Christians more than they dislike any other social group. That means a third of this nation dislikes Christians, specifically conservative Christians. But he goes on and he he says, and he says through his research and through his studies, it doesn't matter... If you are a professing believer of Christ, it can hurt you significantly in the academic world, in the journalistic world, in the political world, in the medical world, in the business world. It doesn't matter what area you do life, it can affect you. And we see it more and more every day. The world we live in is dark. It is influenced by an evil spirit. And it's probably just going to get worse. Don't you feel encouraged? But look at the words of Jesus when he's talking to his disciples and he's spending time with them before he goes into the garden to pray. John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19. If the world hates you, remember it hated me first. The world would love you as, it's, as one of its own if you belonged to it. But you're no longer part of the world. What he's saying is you're not influenced by the spirit of Antichrist, which is influenced by the spirit of Babylon. You have a spirit in you that's greater than the spirit in this world. But if you had the spirit of the world, they'd love you. He said, I chose to come out of the world, so it hates you. And then a little bit later in that conversation... In verse 26, he says, but I will send you the advocate, the counselor, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit is who he's talking about. He'll come to you from the Father. He'll testify about me. He's the one that's going to strengthen and encourage you the same way that's being strengthened and encouraged. Daniel, he's the one that's going to strengthen and encourage you. And then as this conversation goes, we see it in chapter 16, verse 33. Look at what he says here. He says, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. He says, here on this earth, you're going to have many trials and sorrows. Again, Jesus never promised an easy life. We we get mistaken there sometimes. He never promised it to be easy. In this world, you're going to have trials and you're going to have sorrows. But he did make this promise. But take heart. Because I have overcome the world. And notice it doesn't say take heart because I'm going to overcome the world. He's already done it. Everything that's playing out, even in his first coming, has already been taken care of. He said this before he goes to the cross and he's making the proclamation. I've already overcome. Everything you're going to see play out, it's just God's plan. Coming together. This is the world we live in. But this is the promise we have from God. And just after this conversation, he's arrested. He gets taken to a cross. He dies on a cross. And some of the last words of Jesus on that cross are three famous words. It is finished. What's finished? The final sacrifice was made. The punishment for sin taken care of. Jesus took care of it. And the whole purpose of his first coming was done. It was over. He had taken care of why he came to that earth, to this earth for the first time. So look, look with me what the author of Hebrews says, Hebrews chapter nine, verse 27 and 28. And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. So also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people, first coming. It is finished. He's done that. He's taken care of it. He'll come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly awaiting him. The rescue is greater than the ruin. So let's look, as we wrap up the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 12, verses one, start at verse one. At that time, Michael, the archangel who stands guard over your nation, over the nation of Israel, over the nation of Judah will arise this is how we know it's, it's moved forward to Christ's second coming. There will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into the existence. But at that time, every one of your people whose name is written in the book will be rescued. Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up. Some to everlasting life some to shame and everlasting disgrace. And those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky. And those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. This is the message to Daniel. Let's look as we wrap up. Revelation chapter 22. Start at verse one. John's revelation. Revelation. Daniel had his vision. John's having his. John says, then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb of God. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life bearing 12 crops of truth. The fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything for the throne of God and of the Lamb of God will be there and His servants will worship Him. God is reigning. But jump back with me to Revelation 21 and look at what He's seen. Verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea Was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished. What's finished? The reign of evil. The tyranny of this serpent, this dragon, the devil is finished. It's over, it's done. And now the purpose of my second coming, Jesus said, it is fulfilled. I have come to rescue and redeem the faithful. He says, I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I'll give freely from the springs of the water of life. Those springs that we just read from Revelation 22, flowing from the throne of God. Then jump down to verse 22. He said, I saw no temple in the city for the Lord God almighty and the lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon for the glory of God illuminates the city. And the lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light and the kings of this world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day because there's no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil, because it's finished, nothing evil will be allowed to enter. Nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty. dishonesty, But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. How do I get my name on this guest list? that Daniel was talking about in his vision that he, or that this being was talking about to Daniel in Daniel chapter 12, that John is seeing in John in his vision of Revelation in Revelation 21. How do I get my, I want my name on that list. You turn from sin and you trust in Christ. You give your life to him and you accept him as the only way to heaven. You know, some would say, this being told Daniel, he said, even those who are dead, some they're gonna rise and along with everyone else, there'll be some to punishment. Some will go to life. This is heaven and this is hell. Is what he's saying. You're either going to eternal life in heaven with God or you're going to damnation in hell with the dragon. And some would say, you know, you live, you die, and life is done. When everything stops, it just ceases to exist. There's nothing after this. There is no afterlife. Well, the visions of God in the Bible to his people are, speak very differently than that. Some would say, oh, it's okay. Everybody goes to heaven. A loving God provided a way out of hell. He doesn't send people to hell. He provided a way out, but we have a choice. Some would say, oh, you're reincarnated to pay off your debt of karma. Some would say you go to purgatory to pay back God for your sins before he lets you into heaven. Jesus told Nicodemus, he said, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, me. So that you would not be condemned, but that you would have everlasting life. So if you don't accept the everlasting life, then there's only one other option. But he says, you've got me in front of you. Accept me. And then later he would say to those listening, say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus would say. Paul would tell us we've all fallen short through sin. We've all sinned. But Jesus Christ gave his life and took our place and the place of the penalty of sin and he took it on himself so that we wouldn't have to face that. And now God doesn't see our sin. He can see the righteousness of Jesus Christ. If we just do what Paul says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our heart that he did this for us, but we've got to confess him as Lord. We've got to die to our will. We've got to accept his will for our life. Paul would say, or all the Hebrews would say, it's appointed unto man. How many times to die? Once. Jesus looked at the thief on the cross beside him and said, when? Today. You'll you'll be with me in paradise. The apostle Paul wrote, to be absent from the body is to be present. Not in purgatory. To be present with Christ. The writers of the New Testament, these people who lived their life witnessing the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ wrote over and over about the power of what he did. And throughout their writings, we see that God's ultimate win was his defeat of death. And in that first coming, he defeated the death that that sin brings. And in his second coming, he will defeat death completely. But even until then, And when that day comes, the words of Paul will come true for all of us at some point, where we will be able to say, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? You don't have it because I am in Christ. After looking at the book of Daniel and seeing with such detail, what played out of what Daniel saw, And seeing that this is a pattern for what's to come. It should give you hope that God's got this all in his hands and he's in control that his plan will come together. The enemy cannot stop it. And our hope is not found anywhere in this world. It is not found in our own achievements. It's not found in any leader in this world. Our only hope is found in Jesus Christ and Christ alone and God, our father. And our call is to reflect that hope to the hopeless world around us. And that's why this being told Daniel, those who call others to this righteousness will shine like stars in the heavens wrap up with the very last words of the book of Daniel, verse 13. We saw them last week. As as for you, just go your way until the end. You'll rest. And in the end of the days, you'll rise again to receive the inheritance set aside for you. Just go your way. Live your life until the end has come. And one day you'll rest. But even now, until that day comes where we rest eternally, Jesus said, "All who are weary, come to me and I will give you what? Rest. We can rest in Him, and we go our way trusting and believing that God will reward. Stand with me this morning. See, the world around us may be dark, but our hope is everlasting. And this hope for a future, strengthens us to live with hope in the present. So as we close today, I want you to sing these words out with such belief. God, let me see the victory that you already see. And as you sing these words today, pray for your miracle. Pray for the miracle of salvation of someone in your life that you know that's lost. It's been deceived. Pray, pray for the miracle of God to continue to be with you, to guard you, to protect you, to to keep you strong against the flattery of the enemy. Pray and believe for the miracle that God has, the victory in him.